taking the loss. But we had to bump that back with some stuff because next week we have a guest minister coming in, a ministry that we support in town that reaches out to women coming out of sex trafficking or um, women that are coming out of prison. Um, and so she's going to come. She's going to bring a couple of the ladies that have gone through a program, and they're going to share some of their testimonies. And she's going to preach to us about what it looks like to love the lost. And I just said, this is so much fun. I want you to do that. Uh, it would be so great. It's her first time coming to our church and speaking. We've supported her now for over three years, and uh, you won't want to miss it. The problem is, as you can tell, there's times where we don't have enough seats for everybody, and it gets really awkward. So, you know, those that are strong, you can just stand on the edges and stuff like that. Uh, or, we, you know, laps are... No, that's gross. We won't do that. And... Uh, but just invite people, and uh, we'll make the best of it. And then next week, we also have something very special. We're going to do a send-off uh, celebration of Pastor Bill and Sarah, who is with the children, I believe, uh, today. And so we're going to have some fancy desserts and stuff. They're going to be moving at the end of March to uh, back to Missouri to help take care of some uh elderly family members and stuff. It's been something that's been brewing for a while. We are going to desperately miss them. So please help us join uh, in celebrating them and uh, really giving them a good reason to cry before they leave. And uh, so, and smile. And uh, well, anyway, that's enough. That's probably enough of the church business. So let's get back to the message. Um, so this week about loving the church. I was thinking about this message and I want you to go and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to read a couple verses, but here's, here's what I really believe is at the heart of this message. If you remember anything about this message today, it comes in these two shotgun barrels. The first is unity. The second is victory. The first is unity. The second is victory. We're talking about loving the church, but really the power behind this message is encapsulated in these two words, unity and victory. We have to be unified, and I'm here to tell you, maybe you, don't, you forget it, there is a path for victory to overcome the world, to not be overcome by the evil in the world, but to overcome the evil in the world. That path is very clear in Scripture, and it gives me great hope. We don't have to be pessimistic. We don't have to be woe is me in this world. Why? Because the church... But in order for the church to be the full, powerful church, we have to understand that unity is synonymous with church. We can't separate that. We try and live that way, though, in this day and age. We try and be the church without being unified. And then we've just killed ourselves. We shot ourselves in our own foot, so to speak. We lose all of our power. We can't do anything. And maybe that's the way we feel sometimes. Church is pointless. There's no power in church. You know, and that we hear that a lot. In culture, we hear, eh, we're the church. That's that individualism creeping in. And it actually undermines the whole power in church, unity. Church isn't single coals on fire hiding out with a couple other single coals. It's the called out ones coming together as an army that rises up in unified love for Jesus, and they make Jesus known in the world. They become truly the visible church. When people think about Jesus, it, I mean, Jesus isn't here right now. He's coming back. But in the meantime, it's the church age, and the church has got to rise up and be the church. But that's got to be unified. 
And so all of hell is against the church being unified. But individual Christians can take part and join arm in arm and fight the enemy. So there is going to be victory. And, and so I'm thinking about unity and union. And, um, and I'm reminded of my, my, I had an uncle. He just passed away this year. And um, my uncle John was a crazy guy. And he illustrates this point. You can have, you can have union, but not unity. You can, have, you can be together, but not unified. And, and what does that look like? It looks like what my Uncle John did when he was a little kid. He was just not even a preteen yet. And he had a neighbor who he didn't really like. And he took the neighbor's two cats, tied their tails together with a cord, and threw them over the neighbor's clothesline. Clothesline. <laughs> I know this is horrible. This, but he's dead, so we're not going to talk evil of my Uncle John, okay? But so, I mean, he threw the cats over the clothesline. You know what happened? They fought and clawed each other until one of them died. It's horrible. It's very horrible. That same weird uncle took his favorite cat, and when it died, he was so sad. He didn't want it to die and all this kind of stuff. He buried it with the tail sticking out so he could still pet it. Oh my God. <laughs> He's a little weird. A little weird. He's my uncle, and uh, I love him. And, uh, and I can't wait to see him in heaven. He is in heaven. God forgives even cat sins, okay? God forgives. And uh, so you can have union without unity. That's like those two cats being tied together, but they're going to fight until the death. That's not what we want in church. We don't want doctrine to just unify us. We don't want location to just unify us or a religious you know, label to just unify us. We want unity from the heart. And, uh, and that's what the Lord is really fighting for. And um, I was reminded this yesterday as um, our music uh, director and worship leader scared the snot out of me. With the help of two other people, Leslie, Nicole. Now, just so that you know, I made a promise to Amy not to scare her. I did not make that promise to Nicole or Leslie. It was Nate's idea, and scary, it's, <laughs> it was Nate's idea. <laughs> so funny. This is so funny, and uh, I apologize if you watched the video that they posted. I haven't seen it online. I saw it in person, and, uh, but I did realize that there's an autonomous, like, uh, reflex in my body. If I'm genuinely scared, my right leg shakes like a dog. It just does that. It's like, boo, ah! And it's like, it shakes. I'm going to get it looked at by a doctor. Um, I, but I'm reminded of the feuds that can happen in churches, but there's not unity. And it's, I heard of this story of a Lutheran minister and the choir director had a falling out, which led to the minister feeling led to leave the church. And this is what happened. It sounds like a joke. So the pastor gets up and preaches a message and the two didn't like each other. The music director and the pastor didn't like each other. He gets up. He preaches his message. The first week, he preached on a message of commitment because he's sitting there saying, guys, we're going to commit to the Lord. Well, knowing the structure of the services, the choir director ended the service with the choir singing, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And I'm like, oh, that is funny. That is very funny. And... Uh, and so then the following up message, the preacher was preaching on giving and tithing and supporting the church, to which the music director sang the song, Jesus Paid It All. Oh 
And I'm going, okay, at some point, follow-up meetings, they're like, if you do it again, I don't know what I'm going to do, but a board is going to get together and someone is going to do something. So then he preaches up another. And he's like, we are not going to deal with gossip. And we're going to deal with it in a good way and no more gossip. To which the choir director gets up and sings the song, I love to tell the story. And then I'm like, this is, I actually like the choir director at this point. I'm going, genius. This is genius. The preacher gets up disgusted over this entire situation. It's getting close to his resignation. He gets up and he preaches another message. And on this one, he's, he's considering resigning. He's considering resigning. And he gets up and he says, I want you guys to join with me in prayer and direction. Um, I'm, I'm actually thinking about resigning and moving. And, uh, and I just need some help. So it was a real humble appeal to <laughs> To which the choir director gets up and sings the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight, is the title of the hymn. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Lord, that is so bad. And obviously, the next Sunday, he announces to the church that he's resigned. He feels like the Holy Spirit has led him to another location. To which the choir director gets up and sings, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> some of you are like oh my lord that's so evil and the part of me really loves it I just think that is awesome and uh, I look at this and I think this is us isn't it that's the human condition we laugh at this stuff or I do and it's just familiar discord and kind of even fractions and, and hatred and all kinds of stuff can really enter in our hearts and it is counterproductive to what God wants to do because it tears apart at the unity. I read a blessing in Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. When we dwell together in unity, it says right here, it's like a precious anointing oil upon the head of the head priest coming down upon his beard, coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes. It's like the dew that descends on Mount Hermon. It's, it's all of these beautiful things. It's coming out on the mountain of Zion, and it's right there, that place of unity. It says, where the Lord commands the blessing. Whenever there's unity, there's a blessing that's commanded, and I, and I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you guys. I want God's favor upon us. All right, Paul, anybody want God's favor in your life? Favor over your family, favor over the future, over the decisions and things like that. I want that favor. It comes as a result of unity in the church. We come together as God's people, and God says, I, I like this. I want to bless this. And he begins to pour out his favor and blessing. So now let's read Matthew 16, 1, or 16, 16 through 19. It says, um, I think we can even throw that up on the screens today. And uh, this is a popular section of Scripture, so you might have heard this before, but you'll, you'll see why I'm going to read this because of what it says. Simon Peter answers um, Jesus' question about who do they say I am or who am I, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven 
And I also say to you that you are now Peter upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower. Pause right there. So that right there, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Remember that second part of this uh, shotgun? Unity is the one barrel. The other barrel is overcoming. And right here it says that God is going to build his church on the fact that Jesus is Christ and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates represented authority. There is no authority stronger than God's authority. But what makes God's authority a reality in our world? The church. God works through us. And when God is working through us, where two or more come together in agreement, God says it's done, it's legal, it's settled. This is why two people praying together is important. This is why two people within the church, two or more, coming together and say, you know what, let's do this, actually makes a difference. When a family comes together and a husband and a wife are unified with Christ in the center, nothing can tear apart that marriage. Nothing can tear apart the future that God wants to do for those kids and all that kind of stuff. You can overcome it. Why? Because of this. When you as a church come together in unity, the gates of hell, no authority or power will come against you and prevail. You might see it come against you. Don't get, don't get timid. Don't give in to fear. You're going to be stronger. Why? Spirit of God working through you. And so in this day and age, when political powers are stirring up, when global unrest is there, and when there's all kinds of crazy things, and you might be in a phase in your life, you're 25 years old, and you're thinking, I just want to know what I need to do with my life or with my future. You don't ever have to worry about that stuff if you're a part of the church. Now, just like in the natural world, you get a big old herd of, you know, something in the African jungle or something running together, gazelles running. You get one that's just off doing its own thing, <laughs> you know, doing its own thing. In the church gazelle world, he's like, I'm the church. I can do this all by myself. That's the one that gets eaten by the lions, guys. That's the one that gets eaten. The, I mean, the lion, the is, is like the roaring lion that is referenced in Scripture. Satan is just one to see who he can devour. Who does he devour? The ones that are isolating themselves all by themselves. I don't need no organized church. I don't need none of this. I was like, no, what you do need is you need the real church in agreement because the gates of hell won't prevail over that. So we don't need lone rangers. We need church. And, um, and so uh, I, I read this and I'm like, man, I love that. Whatever comes against us, we don't have to worry about because God is working through the church. Unity. God commands a blessing. When we're unified, God just works through us, and boy, we feel victory. I was thinking of a phrase. It's a very spiritual phrase. I use it every now and then. It's, it embodies um, what I mean when we're one. You pick on me you pick on the whole trailer park. It's not in the Bible, folks. It's not in the Bible. It would be if I could write a section of the Bible. You pick on me, you pick on the whole trailer park. I remember um, what it's like to have someone have your back, to be there when you feel a little timid or you're facing some opposition and something is someone else is there to give strength uh, maybe to your constitution. You feel a little weak or whatever. 
you know, there is strength in numbers. And when you're all by yourself, you feel a little timid. But boy, when the church is together and they're unified, that's not a question anymore. Then you can move with such confidence. You've almost got a spiritual swagger about you. I remember one time I was serving. You've probably heard this story if you've here uh, for years. Um, but Petray and I, when we started out in ministry, I was uh, a youth pastor and I was the janitor on a, uh, my parents had a church and there was a college there at that campus. And so there were multiple buildings. And if you were the head janitor, sanitary manager person, you got an apartment on the complex. So I got an apartment and Petray and I lived in that apartment. Well, on that same building where our apartment was, was guest apartments for ministers and different ones that would come through to the college or at the school in, in any capacity. And so I'm there and it's my job to protect the place because this is the church. We had this single lady who had come. She was probably, I don't know, 50 something years old and she was there ministering. And late one night I get the call and she's like, Pastor Ben, somebody's trying to get into my apartment. And I'm like, and we lived in the north side of the city. I mean, people had robbed us. I got robbed on the toilet in my own apartment. That's a different story. Um, I tried to get over it still. And uh, so when I heard this, I was like, oh, I am the church. And I go into protection mode. Anybody else know what that's like? Protection mode? Come on, Josh, you know what protection mode is? Yes. And I felt power surge through my body. And so I dropped the phone, didn't even hang up. And I burst out the front door of my apartment. And I'm looking to the right, looking to the left. It's dark in the city. There's nothing going on. I run around the apartment building in the back because no one's going to leave through the parking lot. That's just silly. So I run through the back. And I cut to the other side of the building. And there, along the side, I see a guy. I run towards the guy. I jump off the little hill. I tackle the guy. I pick the guy up. I start shaking the guy. And I'm starting to yell at him, foaming in the mouth like a rabid dog probably. I'm thinking about it. And, uh, and I'm shaking him. And all I could say is, what are you thinking about? Looking in the windows and trying to get into the apartment. What are you thinking about? And he's like, ha, 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 ha. And, and he's like, I, I. And I realize He's just got a spatula, an apron, and a, some tongs. And he's like, I'm just barbecuing. I realized I was on the hill. I saw a guy in his own backyard <laughs> grilling. And I jumped and tackled him by the grill thinking he was the guy. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. and I'm like, oh, what do you say? What do you say at that point? I'm like, the church. You don't mess with the church. That's what you say. You come back and I will give you more of this. So, I've given up my tackling people days. I've really given it up. I, I don't do it anymore. Um, yeah. But it makes me think about how unity really does benefit. Sad to say, though, the opposite is often true. In our day and age... We're going to talk about unity and how it undermines our power. Um, Barna put out some pretty significant research recently. And uh, George Barna and his research company out of uh, California, every now and then they put out some stuff that I'll read and I'll just say, this is significant and I feel we need to share this stuff. A lot of it is statistical, so you can bend statistics to kind of say whatever you want. But here in the midst of all of this, the heartbeat behind what he's pointing out 
he's focusing on the 20-something bracket of people. Anybody, you know, before they're 30 uh, and a little bit out of that uh, high school, college age, and they're starting to get into a, a, this real life phase where they're leaving educational phase and getting into their occupational phase. And what he's pointing out is he's saying that there's a real problem in this area. The problem looks like this. The allegiance to Christian church has become the casualty of this generation's individual pursuit for something they call fulfillment. They're genuinely hungry for things that would satisfy them spiritually. You're in that age bracket. You know what I'm talking about. You really do care about spirituality. You still pray. You still think about spiritual things. But the allegiance to the organized church has dropped. It's plummeted. But not just that. The reading of the Bible has plummeted. The Christian devotion, specifically Christian devotion, so not spirituality, but Christian devotion, plummeted. And you look at this, and they're pointing out, and they're like, okay, well, that group of people, they're very rarely going to church committed anyway. Attendance has dropped. It's, it's amazing. And you would think there'd be all kinds of reasons. Is it college? Is it something else? It's like, no. Once they leave college and they're getting into real life, that's just no longer a significant influencer in their life. In fact, he put a number on it. He said out of that group of uh, 20-somethings, 8 million 20-somethings are lost. Just lost. Because it's no longer a significant part of their life. They're no longer active in the church in any kind of way, but they're still spiritual. He said these 20-year-olds, this 20-year-old bracket, which is part of this largest demographic ever seen in our day and age. I mean, these, these are the ones that are going to rule the world. Here's something he points out, though. He goes, with them, they are no longer giving generously, financially even. And, and so this is, a, this is a serious drop. And it's like, oh, wow. And, and then not just giving in that way, only 4% of that entire population under 30 and older than 20, only 4% are even serving in an organized church. They're still serving. They're still serving, which I, if you've heard anything I've ever said about the philanthropic world right now, it kind of, I'm sarcastic, and so I apologize. I don't need another t-shirt for something. I don't need to do another walk-a-thon for something. I don't need to do another drive for this or that. I don't need to do another one of those. They haven't changed the world. Poor people are still poor. Disease is still rampant. All kinds of problems are there. And all I get out of it is a sticker that says, good job, you are serving. It just feels empty. It doesn't fulfill me. Maybe it fulfills you, but it's a shallow fulfillment. If you're honest, it's shallow. It feels good for that day, but it doesn't last. And I know that this generation is hungry for things that really do fulfill. So we have fewer and few people serving in the church because they can do it on their own. And then here's the crazy thing. I mentioned about the Bible, but the reality is this. If they're not plugged into the church, they're not serving, they're not giving, and they're all these different things, then when it comes to even reading the Bible, you are not being told if you volunteer at United Way to read your Bible. You're not being told at a cancer walk to read your Bible and draw near to the Lord. You're not being told these things in any of these other philanthropic endeavors. You're just not being told that. It's only in places like the church that says you need to draw near to Jesus 
or you're never going to overcome. How are we going to defeat cancer? How are we going to defeat, you know, poverty? How are we going to feed the world if we're not also tending to their spiritual needs? And, and so we've got a generation of people struggling with things. And, and really at the core, it's they are distancing, distancing themselves from what is going to heal them. Jesus. And, and, and so they're, they're dwindling in their consumption of the Bible. Wow. And, and I just like, well, okay, so that's, that's pretty sad. And I look at this and I cap it off with his research on devotion to the Christian faith. Yeah, uh, for a little while, for about a decade, it, it was the catchphrase of deconstructing our faith. And some of you probably remember that um, and have seen it. You've had many people in public spheres talk about how they're deconstructing their faith. What is that all about? It's what we're talking about here. There's a lack of unity in the church, and what that looks like on an individual level is at some point you just realize there's no point to my Christian devotion. Maybe there's another option out there. And, um, and so they begin to question everything. Not to find truth, but to find an escape clause. I mean, hear, hear what I'm saying. When a generation is questioning everything, but not with the motivation to find truth, but to just find what makes them feel like they'll be fulfilled, that's an escape clause. I'm trying to find a good reason that everyone will not argue with me about to escape this and find something that I feel is satisfying. And, and so we've got a, a generation that is, their devotion is just dwindling. Here's where this generation will realize sometime why this is important. Because at the core of what they are asking they are wanting to deal with real issues. This is one of the smartest generations alive. And, and they're the most capable in so many ways. In fact, you, you read so many um, uh, Christian sociologists and different people that look at this generation and they just say things like, this generation is so talented, so capable. They're resourceful. They can adapt better than any other generation, it seems like. And, and, and they're just, they just process things so well. And, and their talent levels are through the roof. It really is impressive. It's impressive. But the problem is, is they're looking for answers, but they have cut off those that have gone before them who have had a love for Jesus that can speak wisdom into their life. They've cut them off. And, and that's going to hurt them at some point. And um, in fact, this whole issue t is like a red herring. It distracts from what the church should be realizing in all of this. So I'm speaking then to myself as church leadership. When I read this stuff from Barna, I want to go, oh man, this stinks, so what? This generation is like, how are we going to reach them? He, he, he encourages church leadership. He goes, don't get distracted. The real issue is listen to what they are struggling with. Open up the doors to these two things. Their questions have to be heard and understood. And you have to shift the focus to more of a mentoring, one-on-one, -on -one, real-world experience. Give them some substance that will make a difference. And, I, and when I hear that, that gets me all kinds of jazzed. I'm like, yes, yes. I don't want to just preach. I, wanna, I want life on life. I want us to mimic a real faith that makes a difference. This is why God kept me in Green Bay, and it's not why I, it's not, it's just why I didn't move back to California. This is why I didn't move to Texas. 
The Holy Spirit moved us here, kept us here, and prophetically, Paul Tucker said, you were sent to Green Bay to be God's body in Green Bay, the visible body of Christ. And I was like, we're going to be the visible church. That is not a set of black and white print. It's skin on. That's what it is. It's me being a Christian. I'm the fifth gospel. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also read me. You're the fifth gospel. I want you to live Jesus. And living Jesus isn't not, it's not telling me what you know. It's living what you know and letting someone be close enough to pick that up. I'll tell you, any 20-something would love that because they want to see what real prayer does. They want to see how it makes a difference. They want to see why serving in a context of a church is so important. And they want to have that opportunity. The sad statistic is that it's like most people in the organized church that are serving are 50 years older and older. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's great. Chloe, stand up for a second. How old are you, 50? 22, that is amazing. You know, can I just say you are really cute? I bet you get all of your looks from your dad. Sorry. Sorry, babe. <laughs> so, actually, she does get all of her looks from me because you still got yours. I don't know what that dance move was. It just happened. Sorry, erase it from your memory. It never happened. Um, so this is this is the point. When I see someone like Chloe, and Chloe, I even told her in no specific words. I, I resist putting her in a position in my own church because I'm like, man, I'm your dad. I don't, want, I don't believe in nepotism. I don't want to give you favor just because you're my kid, you know? So I make her work harder than anybody else, and I torment her and stuff like that. And, and, but she's like, I feel the calling. I got to serve. And that gives me hope. She's not alone. There are other people in this room that as I see you commit, and it just makes me go, yes. And Barna points this out too. He says, The church isn't going anywhere. Even in the midst of all of this crazy trend, he says there are over 10 million young Christians in that 20-something range that are even progressing further in their devotion. It's like they are rising up as an army saying, oh, not on my watch. I am going to invest. I'm going to plug in. And now the crazy thing is, is I get that and I want to focus on that. And in our church, I want us to become kind of that proponent of let's get these young men and women who are talented. God, I'm telling you, in his wisdom, he knows that you were born at this time and in this place for such a time as this. I I mean, you're the Esthers of this time. I am not 20-something. Don't say amen right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not 20-something right now. But what I can say is this. I won't be able to reach this next generation like some of you in this room. You'll say it differently, you'll do it differently, and this world is aching for the sons and daughters of God to lead. That's you. And so in this church, I can't speak for other churches, but in this church, I want you to have opportunity to lead. And you're not going to be on your own leading. You're going to have someone there to help and walk through the crazy stuff. Not to micromanage you, but to let you free and say, I want you to take risks. I want you to invest yourself and see what God does through you because that's exciting for us. If you're over 30, I'm telling you, isn't it exciting to see the next generation pick up that baton and do stuff you couldn't do? I mean, they can still stretch 
you know, we, we can't. They can still do stuff. And, and I'm like, I want to see them work hard and run this race. And I tell you, it's going to be a blessing. Because when I'm 80 years old, I don't want to be doing all the stuff I'm doing right now. I want to sit down with a testimony book going, oh, look at that. You remember this one? This is a great one. Look at this. And, I'm, I, and that testimony comes as a result from that next generation winning victories. If you're over 30, your job is to mentor. Your job is to inspire. Stop doing everything that someone younger than you could do. Do it with them. You're not obsolete. Do it with them. Encourage them. And um, it's hard to do with the older you get. Okay, believe me, this is a right, side note. Anytime you're trying to pass a baton, it's hard to just take your hands off and let them do it. It just is. <laughs> There's older folks going, yeah, it is. I mean, because we're smart and we know how things are done. And we're going to tell everybody how it's done. You know, this next generation, they just haven't learned from us. So we're going to, you know, and I just, it's just hard to do. So younger generation, please be patient with us. Help us. Help us help you. <laughs> help us help you help the world. You know, I mean, you know, give us patience because we really want to release you. And um, praise God. I want to end on this note because we're going to keep this message really short today. And overflow, we're going to cut short because we're going to um, do some work. And besides, I didn't want the turpentine and uh, solvents to get into our brains and all of us have a group vision today. (laughs) I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. Or I was high. I don't know. And uh, I don't don't want that. And... uh, (laughs) so wrong. But I, but I want to kind of wrap it up with this thought. Um, in the Old Testament, when God birthed the church, He did it in a progression. And it leads to the groundwork for our understanding of church today. Church today, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that in essence God's Spirit says, you, I want you. Come, give your life to me. Follow. And you hear that in your spirit and you go, okay, I'm going to follow God. That marks you different from everybody else because you heard that call and you answered and you followed Jesus. Some of you in this room, maybe you haven't heard that call yet, but you're here today and you're hearing the Holy Spirit say, I want you to follow me. Jesus asked every one of his disciples, will you follow me? Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you today, will you follow me? That's another invitation to be a part of the church that called out ones that follow God together. Where this all started was back in the Old Testament. God called a man named Abraham. Abraham said, I hear your voice, and he followed God. Abraham birthed a nation. That nation was the nation of Israel. And under that nation of Israel, there were 12 sons that became 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes were in the desert with their leader, Moses. They just left Egypt. Watch the cartoon. (laughs) Prince of Egypt, you know. And uh, they leave Egypt, and in the desert, God, through Moses, the leader, sets up a definition of what it looks like to be the body of Christ through the nation. He says, I want all of the tribes to camp around the temple. I want those on the north, on the south, on the east, and the west. And the Bible doesn't waste any space. If in the Bible, God told Moses to go to that degree and tell people where to camp, there has to be a reason for it. And the reason is this, 
right in the center of every tribe was Jesus. Hallelujah. Shh. Not again. Amen. You, Kirk. Shh. Keep your voice down. Um, right in the center of the church. Right there. That's where the Holy Spirit was. Every tribe camped around God. And in that time, he said, when I get up the cloud, if you're not familiar with this story, this is what happened. Right in the center was the visible representation of Jesus. That was the, in the daytime, it was a cloud. In the nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. When it moved, the entire assembly moved. And they kept Jesus at the center of their life. Now, that was the Old Testament. The New Testament, it is no longer the nation of Israel. Now, under Jesus' administration, it's the church age. The church age was introduced officially through Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you see this outpouring. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit birthed the New Testament church, made not just of the Israelites, but now of the Gentiles. That's all of us who are non-Jews. And the whole reason it was birthed was because in the upper room, they camped around God's instructions, they were in the upper room in one accord, it says. And when they were together in unity, the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was birthed. And in that moment, thousands were added to the church. Thousands were added. The church was built because Jesus was in the center and they were unified. And from that time forward, I can tell you just what we read at the very beginning in Matthew 16. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. All of the Roman Empire came to squash what God started there in Jerusalem. And eventually the Roman Empire was turned Christian. Not by bullet, but by the Spirit of God. And, and that came from 12 who centered around Jesus. And then 120 or so who centered around Jesus. And it continues on today. Everywhere in, in every part of the world, there are people that are called out to be a part of the church of God. We're a part of that. And as Jesus is in the center of this, we're going to move step by step and follow Him, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I think this is a beautiful picture of what God is calling us to do. My question now is this to each and every one of us. What will you do with this? Will you love what Jesus loves? Will you invest? Will you give of your time, talent, and treasures? Will you participate and follow what God is doing? Resist every urge for individualism. Come together with the others that are called out. You don't have to be a part of this church. I'm a big C church guy. I love every church. I really do. If they're following Jesus, I'm, I'm all for them. I want them to follow Jesus, and I want my church to follow Jesus. Because that's how the world is just conquered for God. And, uh, and I see it happening I see it happen in Green Bay. We, we just had another buddy of mine, Casey Carey, came. He was installed last week down in a De Pere at Cross Point Church. Um, I've got buddies on all sides of the city. And there is a coalition of ministers in Green Bay, unlike I've ever seen from the time I moved here until now. I believe God is doing something big in Green Bay. And it's coming as the church is becoming more unified. This is phenomenal stuff. And I want you to be a part of it. And if you're young, I want you to hear a message like this and I want you to go, you know what, I can do something about this. I want you to invest your heart into the church. This is not my church, it's your church. So own it. What does it need to look like? What does it need to do? 
It's your time to start to brainstorm and say, this is what I know we need to see in church. This is what I want to hear God doing through me. And if you need opportunities, you just got to do what old school folks do. Knock. Keep knocking. And be persistent. Keep asking the Lord, hey, I got some talents here. How can I use those? I got, I got some wisdom here. How can I use that? I got some energy. I, I want to use this. And you know what? The Lord will begin to direct the church and we'll see the gates of hell just crumble again and again and again and again. With that, I'm going to leave you. We're going to be done. So I want to pray with you. And as we're going to close in prayer, I'm going to ask you, separate from the message today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, I want you to know this. It's not a surprise that you're in this room. It's not a surprise that you're sitting here listening to this crazy guy in a pink shirt, salmon shirt, sorry, salmon shirt, talking about church unity, talking about people hearing the voice of the Lord calling them out to be a part of His body. You're here because God loves you and because God wants to know you better. And how that happens is by you responding to a message like this where I'm just saying, hey, Jesus loves you so much He died for you even before you knew Him. Even before you were born. Now you're born. You've lived a good chunk of your life maybe or you're just starting out. But you hear these words. Jesus loves you so much He's given His life for you. There is nothing God would hold back from you. And right now He wants to know you personally. He wants His Holy Spirit which you can't see with your eyes. He wants that Holy Spirit to come inside your heart and make His home there. The minute the Holy Spirit makes His home, you've passed from death into eternal life. You've passed from darkness. You're no longer a son or a daughter of the world and of Satan. You're actually a part of God's household. And you get all the benefits of God's household. Protection, blessing, direction, fulfillment, all these things. And all it starts is Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. Confess with your mouth and believe. Believe what it is I'm telling you right now. Jesus paid the price for your sins. No good work is ever going to earn you anything in heaven. But you've got to confess with your mouth that He's your Lord now. And you've got to confess with your mouth that you're going to serve Him with your life. You've got to say, I believe that He paid it all for me. And I commit my life to following Him. It's that simple. If you've sinned, turn away from it. If you've sinned, just turn away from it. That's part of the turn away and believe. And if you need to do that, just pray with me this prayer. You could say it in your own ways. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you paid the price for my sin. That you died on that cross over 2,000 years ago. And I don't have to do anything but repent and trust in you right now. So Lord, forgive me for all my sins. Wipe them all away. And Lord, come into my heart and live. And I commit to You that I will follow You as my Lord and Savior. I'm Yours. Lord Jesus, I believe. Amen. And you just say something like that. It doesn't have to be special. There is no official sinner's prayer. It's really your confession of faith. If you've done that and you haven't done that before maybe or it's a recommitment, please tell me or tell somebody. Just say, hey, you know what? I recommitted today. Or you know what? I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time today. Do that. And, uh, and if this is maybe a potential home church for you, great. Grab a paintbrush and say, no, to, no. 
I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. Um, but seriously, we're like a family here, and uh, we'd love to get to know you, and uh, you're adopted. Just consider that. You're already adopted. Uh, would you stand with me in closing? Um, I want to pray a blessing over you. If you have any other prayer requests, you can come down here and uh, we'll pray for you individually. You can tell our prayer team what it is that you might need prayer for. Uh, so many exciting things coming up. Next week, come ready to eat some great desserts and celebrate the Pevlors and what God is doing. And uh, other than that, man, it's so good. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing upon every person here today. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Bless their children. Bless their families. Uh, Lord, bless the young person that is hearing these words today with hope. Bless them with wisdom and direction. Lord, bless them with a sense of belonging in your house. And God, we just give you praise for everything that you are and everything that you're doing. Amen. All right. God's blessings on you guys. Thanks for coming. In spite of all of the construction. Oh, bless his name.